like I see so many people that are like, oh, well, I just, you know, I want to shoot music videos or like I want to be this thing. I'm like, yeah, that thing, that thing that you're chasing, that guy that's like the, you know, head guy on YouTube, that guy got there from 10 years of hard work and he is successful now because that is the the end result of his hard work. Your hard work in these next 10 years is going to land you in some completely different place. So you can't base every decision that you have off of that one thing that you see somebody else being successful at because that world doesn't exist anymore. Welcome to the Video Creator Podcast. This is our brand new podcast hosted by Laramore Studios. This podcast is going to be all about helping people grow their video production businesses and just learn, be educated, and build community all about video creation. In this first episode, we talked with Adam Powell from Best Friends Creative, and we talk about his journey to starting a video production company, his time at film school, and where his company has gone, and the lessons he's learned along the way to get him there. So let's jump right into it. So today, my first guest, we're going to go super letterman on this. Uh, no, we are doing our first podcast for the Video Creator Podcast. I thought it would be fun to have Adam on as the first. Adam and I actually, I chose someone as similar to me in a lot of ways as possible. We both were born in 1984 in September. Both have video production companies. That's personal information. It, we'll bleep out that information later. Please. I just thought it would be fun to kind of talk through. We both have similar journeys, but we also have kind of different journeys, and our production companies are a little different as well. Um, so I just wanted to kind of dive in, and can you just tell us a little bit about your production company, how long you've been in business, and the kinds of work you typically do? For sure. I just want to say thanks so much for having me, Greg. Um, it's I'm sorry to hear about that last-minute cancellation of your original <laughs> guest. Yes, uh, of course. George Lucas was yeah. a little busy. <laughs> and I was glad that I was literally sitting in a chair <laughs> across the room that I was able to just hop up and, yes. you know, at last minute's notice. Of course. Notice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name's Adam Powell. I have a production company called Best Friends Creative. I've been doing this solo for about, I think it's been like eight, eight or nine years now. It's maybe it's maybe ten years going on ten years. It's kind of it's one of those things that kind of staggered and became, you know, like a full time thing over over some time. Right. But I was kind of thrown into it before I was ready and kinda of had to, to to jump in with both feet. Uh I mainly focus on like biotech uh, video, you know, kind of corporate video interviews, talking heads, um and uh small business marketing, you know, kind of promos and stuff like that. So so jump back to what you just said about you were sort of thrown into it before you were ready. So tell me what you mean by that. I I was working, I was driving a truck and I was doing like office coffee delivery and vending machine restocking. And I, I mean, if you want the whole story, it was like I was listening to a lot of audiobooks and I was like, I was really into Russian literature and like love these grandiose stories of people you know, making something out of nothing or, or kind of a rags to riches story. And I was like, oh man, I want to, I want to do something. Um, I want to do something where I feel like I'm, I'm actually, you know, making something of myself yeah. with the things that I know how to do. And I had gone to film school. I had been in video production since I was like in junior high. Um, cause we had like a magnet program at, at my school. Okay. And so it was something that I already knew how to do, but there was this like when all of my friends left college to go start working in Hollywood, that was very daunting for me. And it was like, it felt scary and it felt big and I hated Los Angeles. And there was just this aspect of like, I can't do it. Like this whole wall that was like, I, I'm just not, I'm not capable. Um, I don't have the know-how. I don't have the connections, you know, so many reasons. So I just, you know, got a job and worked and worked a like kind of day in day out thing. But I think in the back of my head, it was something that I always kind of wanted to do. But then the DSLR revolution happened and all of a sudden, you know, equipment became a lot more affordable for a solopreneur. The company that I was working for, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that things were closing and I put the keys on the desk and I was like, I'm out of here. I took my my wife's T2i, <laughs> little Canon you know, DSLR and a nifty 50. And I was just like, I'm gonna, I'm going to 
make videos for a job. And uh, we had just had our first kid. That's kind of crazy to think about, like, just being like, oh, I think I'll just quit my job and try to do it myself. Uh, so, but I did. And uh, in the beginning, it was it was really supposed to be, you know, kind of the, the niche that I saw was, was wedding videos. So I was like, oh, we'll name it something cute. So we came up, me and my friend Ryan came up with a cute, cute name, Best Friends Creative. It was like, oh, Best Friends. And I just started doing it, you know, I think I was, there was a a very long time there where I was just kind of, I was walking around the neighborhood trying to get clients and stuff. But then I was also, you know, second shooting for like wedding companies and kind of white labeling service for kind of bigger name, like wedding, wedding video services. So kind of cutting my teeth in that space of, of like run and gun and figuring out a lot of kind of what works, what doesn't work equipment just like bare bones like we're talking no no big purchases nothing just like make what you can with what you have and I think I learned a lot in that sense of like Mm -hmm. having to having to just to just run and do it you know yeah absolutely yeah when we first met um so we both played music at our church and we had mutual friends who were like you guys need to know each other. And I remember our first conversation, we had both played on a weekend together and we're um, waiting in between the two services. And we start talking about camera equipment and you're like, yeah, I shoot a Canon T2i and I think you had even a cheaper camera as your B cam. Like might've been a GoPro or who knows. Uh, but something that I've always gained a lot of value and insight in our friendship is just that you've always been not about the gear to drive the vision. A lot of your passion and vision is kind of figuring out the bigger picture of what the story is, how to tell that story. And then, you know, gear is more of an afterthought. Now, we've kind of had a balance where I've helped to kind of push you into like, not, it can't always be an afterthought, uh, you know, and you've sort of up leveled and kind of found your place, uh, in the current ecosystem of cameras. Um, but I've always respected that about you and your company. Um, and so let's take a quick step back, um, to film school, this podcast. One of my big hopes for this podcast is that, you know, whether it's people who are in high school, in college, in their mid twenties, even in their thirties, kind of evaluating, like, maybe I can go into a creative career, um, go into this video space as video is continuing to skyrocket in importance, um, especially after the pandemic, we're seeing that become such a bigger thing that my hope is that this podcast, as we talk through different people within this industry, people can get an idea of what it looks like to actually go into this space. And one of the questions that people are going to have, and maybe it's already starting to fade, but Back when we were younger, like film school was really the only route. Mm-hmm. There were a few people I just met, a guy that I grew up with recently. We sat down and he was talking about how he started straight out of high school uh, shooting on Super 8, mm-hmm. uh, I believe. And like, I didn't even think of that as an option at that point. Sure. You know, YouTube wasn't around, there wasn't anything to show that you could actually start your own company. But going to film school, what was that experience like for you? And for this next generation, would you recommend it? Or how would you recommend approach a career in filmmaking? I started I started in junior high, like 13, 14 years old on SVHS. You know, that was like, you know, we didn't even, the school that didn't even have beta systems because the beta tapes were too expensive. So it was like, you got these SVHS AB decks and you're, you know, you're punching in, you're punching in your ins and outs and previewing, you know, and, and, and making cuts that way. The way that I tell a story, I feel like has its roots in a very analog system. And I remember when, when we got our first like non-lin deck and like that first time that, you know, final cut was like, everybody was like, what is this thing? You know, you have to log and capture all your footage and you're spending days, you know, doing this whole process. But I think something, there was still that barrier of equipment, 
you know, it was like even this stuff, there was an understanding that it's way too expensive for us to afford. Yeah. You know, it's the it's only here because the school can afford it. And the home video stuff that I would do at home on like my parents' camcorder was was even lower quality and just kind of thrown together and stuff like that. But you still found kind of creative ways to make those things work. You made the edit in the camera. Yeah, t- making the edits in the camera, taping mm-hmm. you know the slates up on the wall and stuff, and filming those for titles and stuff, and and like playing your background music in the in the room. <laughs> you know yeah. when you're when you're <laughs> like uh-huh. having dialogue and uh-huh. and things going like. But we were making things like that at home just for fun. Yeah. But I think something that you you start to understand is that it's that it's that iterative process of like the 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 creativity is the thing that you're doing it's not videos it's not you know it's not gear it's not all of these other things it's like how do you communicate visually and that happens in so many different ways and it happens in different mediums and i think as a storyteller or a songwriter or a you know, even even just as a musician or, you know, you have these things that you, it's almost like you're aware of this system of, of like almost mathematic equations that exist and you get to kind of plug into that wherever, you know, and I'm not trying to go too <laughs> to, <laughs> to uh, slipstream or whatever, but but it, you just realize that it, you're, you're a part of this bigger thing. I think when you start to walk through what that looks like for you as a creative, like where do I fit in? Where do where do I, you know, how can I tell a story? How can I communicate? How can I There's also this other thing that happens that you have to decide, well, do I want to do that creativity just for me? You know, as an ex- outward expression of something that's inside of me? Do I want to do that in a way that's literally just to pay bills and and make money, you know? There's like a cross section there, I think, sometimes where it's like you you still have passion projects, you still do things that you want to do. But all of these questions are going on in my head, you know, when I'm in film school, when I'm shooting my first wedding, you know, in in like 1999, you know, on a on a on a I don't even know if the years are correct on this, but but like the little high eight, you know, recorders or the the uh, the mini DV cams. At that time, I was like, there's just not a way for me to trans... I can't see charging somebody more than $200 for this. Like, It just doesn't seem like I'm creating a product that's, that's worth anything. I think looking back at film school, the know-how of like how things work... I, I still meet so many people that, like, that do creative stuff, and they're like, I don't understand three-point lighting, or I don't understand... You know, it's like I know all the visual stuff, but I don't know how audio works. You know, but I got I got a very very broad, yeah, education in a lot of those things at a very early age. You know, and it was like when we even when we were in high school, it's like I walked in and I could run all of the the gear that we had, and everybody wanted me to set up lights because I uh, like understood what you know what the the parameters were that needed to be met, kind of a thing. And so in that element. I think it's really, it's really beneficial. But now you can get that education on YouTube. You right. Know, it, you don't need film school. Mm-hmm. The thing that you can get in film school that I think is the actual benefit is like the the network building. Right. Peeling back some of that layer of like, there's just opportunities. You think about education. A lot of times there's there's like bridges that happen between a, a study program and some kind of internship or you know connections between the teacher here and some person that's in the industry over there and that kind of stuff like I think is really valuable but it's not to say you can't do it I was actually listening to something the other day that was talking specifically about this and it was really interesting I think the the biggest things are network yep you have you already have a network you know people and you have to you have to you have to realize that your network is not going to be people in the industry it's going to be, you know, your aunt Julia who works at some corporate place that that they might be c- considering doing something something like that. And I think it's really important to kind of take a step back and say, well, what what are the tools I already have? Hmm. And start there. You know, you and I came from slightly different realms since you went to film school. I actually went and got an engineering degree, which I didn't use. 
Um, and I, for me, I feel like network was one of the biggest things from college as well. Um, network and the ability to push myself to learn on my own. That's something that really pushed me. I had these calculus classes, these really hard classes that my teachers were not teaching me well enough. And so I had to go figure it out on my own. And that's really helped me later in life. You know, there are different realms within the video production space. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity to go different routes. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be curious as I interview more people who like both of our production companies are based off of the mindset of we want to serve and solve a problem for our customers, um, which often is just helping them grow and helping to, to better tell stories. But our video production companies' models didn't exist before digital. Um, it was much more the true hierarchy where you have a director, you have a director of photography, you have potentially, if the budget's there, grip, key grip, uh, first AD, like all AC, all these different roles. Uh, but that is still there. Like Hollywood and even outside of Hollywood now, you still have production companies that are taking the more traditional approach. And there's some benefits of doing it that way, having larger teams, um, having people who are more dedicated, like someone who's like a true sound engineer um, versus we're running cameras and sound at the same time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but from someone who didn't go to film school, I feel like film school can be a better inroad if you want to go more of that classic route um, to be in production that's more that large scale. Sure. You'll you'll never, I mean, you wouldn't normally hear me say that I think film school is necessary. Yeah. Like that's that's just not something that's not something I believe. I believe yeah. if you want to make movies, go make movies. If you want to, you know, if you want to do this kind of stuff like grab your grab your connections and just start making stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is something we talk about a lot is we are in the wild west of of I mean technology is constantly putting us into new realms of what what anything looks like at any given moment. It's a really exciting time to be alive and it's an exciting time to you kind of look and say, well what you know what does what does this job look like now? As opposed to even a couple of years ago, I was I that I made in the early days and you see some things that really worked and see some things that were really like, oh my gosh, I had no idea what I was doing. But I was figuring it out. And I think that the most important thing that we have in this element of like what we do is just being entrepreneurial and and being a problem solver and seeing a seeing a, a gap in the market and say, well, I guess I can make those. Or I guess you know it kind of seems like the client needs this, and I'm just going to chase that and see and see where it leads. But I mean, every every job leads to another job, so it's kind of important to kind of decide what it is you want to do. Yeah where it is you want to fit. But I think one reason that 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 businesses like ours work right now is because we're in a space where like the solopreneur, that kind of solo filmmaker is like having a moment, right? And you see that, you see that in like TikTok, you see that in in like, you know, like short format storytelling with with just like one phone it's like that creativity is the thing that is is the product and that kind of place didn't exist 10 years ago like it wasn't it wasn't really possible and it's possible now but it's also still changing and it's changing so fast that it's like well you know you might watch this podcast in a week and be like well that's not relevant anymore <laughs> there's yeah. a new app now yeah know? no it's constantly changing um but so so the so the important thing is being able being able to be flexible like i see so many people that are like oh well, i just you know i want to shoot music videos or like i want to be this thing i'm like yeah that thing that thing that you're chasing that guy that's like the you know head guy on youtube that guy got there from 10 years of hard work and he is successful now because that is the the end result of his hard work your hard work in these next 10 years is going to land you in some completely different place. So you can't base every decision 
that you have off of that one thing that you see somebody else being successful at because that world doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that's totally true. I think for most of us who have Did you get started, that, Mom? I think for most of us who started uh, our own companies, it's been that journey. It's been that iterative process of kind of figuring out what is something that we actually enjoy and where is that intersection between something that we enjoy doing and something that we can get paid for. My first business that I started in 2010 was solely photography and that kind of morphed into video over time. Um, And then in 2014, we moved back from Portland, Oregon to San Diego and switched to full video production. But in that process, like in the first company, I I wanted to be a Swiss army knife. I wanted to do everything. And people told me you can't. And I said, no, I'm different. But in that you realize, no, you can't. Um, But being a Swiss army knife for a season allows you to see what you're actually good at. um, And it lets you test things that you may not have tested before. And the truth is, you know, let's take photography as an example. What you learn from wedding photography is going to teach you some stuff for portrait photography and commercial portraits. What you learn from product photography, you can translate to something else as well. Um, And so I don't think it's bad to be in multiple areas, but I think the biggest lesson that I've learned in starting the second company was not necessarily niching down so far that it's like we only serve product consumer, business to consumer uh, that are pet owners who are named Sally. Like, don't go so far down the funnel, but find ways that you can solve a problem that's important and then look for ways to find those customers and do it. And you start to learn where you're actually good, how you can actually serve that problem, and that opens a lot of opportunities for growth. I mean, you get you figure you figure out your, your wheelhouse, right? And you and you find that space that it's like at the end of the day, <laughs> like there is that there is that whole idea of like what serves my vision, and then at the end of the day, like what continues to pay the bills next month? Because ultimately, being able to stay afloat is the thing that is is going to keep you capable of of doing this. And so it's it's tricky. It's a dance, and I feel like at the beginning, there's this constant pull to be like find your niche, find your niche, like find exactly what you can do and really drive it home. And then once you get there, there's this push that's like, you know, expand and grow and try to find what's the next thing and 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 how that's going to shift. And so it's kind of flexibility is like a big part of that, right? And and being able to just being able to just say, well, whatever I think maybe the reason that I've been and I'm not I'm I'm like the last person that's going to tell you that I'm successful because it's not in my mind I'm still day in day out just trying to figure it out. There's that aspect of of just like needing to needing to eat that is so many people like in their creative journey you end up doing you just end up doing stuff that works and I think it's it, it can be tricky because sometimes you can get stuck somewhere that you didn't intend to be. Uh, there's something we say a lot is like, don't say yes to a job you don't want to do for the next 10 years because each job leads to another job. So, so you know, if that's in your portfolio and that's like the latest thing you did, I almost guarantee you somebody else is going to call you to do that thing again. You know, if you, if you do have to have those times where you say yes to something and you don't want it, do not put it out there. Don't share it. And when you get the next call for it, say, ah, no, you know, no thanks. And I've had plenty of those to where I showed up for a one-day shoot and they asked me to do it again. They, hey, you know, thanks for shooting up here in Cielo. Like, we need you out in Palm Springs for a week. And I'm like, nope. I, that's that's not, uh, you know, it, it, like I was, I had this little peer into like the reality TV realm kind of a couple years ago. And I was just like, nah, this feels weird. It's not the right fit, and so so I just I just kind of <laughs> said no, and it's okay to say no. And the the other thing is, if you're so busy doing all of these, you know, say yes to everything projects, there's a lot of times you're going to miss stuff because you don't have the space in your schedule, or you don't have, you know, you don't have that 
almost that uh, kind of quiet time to problem solve and, and kind of plan for the future. You know, because you're like, well, I'm so busy for that. I don't have time to, you know, grow my business. I don't have time to work on any of that kind of stuff. So I think it's it's always it's always tricky. And I know we kind of have, I think we have similar like similar value sets, but also we have kind of different approaches to that. And and a lot of times, they, there was there was like there were like two or three things that I thought of in the mirror this morning when I was like, oh, Greg's gonna ask me questions. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not this morning, like twenty minutes ago when he asked me to sit down. Having a net, not not only a network to like create clients but having a network of other creatives and other people that you know that are in business doing the same thing that you're doing you know I have a I have I have like a speed dial of like four or five people that are all entrepreneurs and all you know business owners and all problem solvers and a lot of times when I'm up against something big the first thing I do is pick up my phone and I give them a call and say hey I got this thing that just came across my desk and I I don't know what to do. This is a bigger question. You know, what have you done in this situation? Or like, what worked for you? Or what do you think about this? Or, you know, I call Greg all the time. I'm like, am I quoting this too high? Am I crazy right now? Like, what, <laughs> what's going on? And sometimes, you know, sometimes you're just like, well, it's just the game. You know, that's the game you're playing. Like, what, what are you going to do? But I think it's really important to have those relationships because it can also be kind of like, this space can be kind of a lonely space. And it's important to have like, community. Yeah. And I think that's something that took me a long time to learn. I, for a very long time, had the mindset that everyone was competition and competition is scary. And like, I just want to, I just want to survive. And like, for me, it very similar to you as well. I started the video production company basically a month before my first child was born. I had the photography business, but I was also working at a restaurant for a while. Um, and then I dropped that off for probably a year, but my wife worked full time as well. And we moved back to California and my wife stopped working. I moved to full video production. And so there were so many days where it's like anyone who is bidding against me is taking away a chance at feeding my family. So everyone is competition. I'm afraid of them. I've really pushed in the last few years just to get to know as many people in this industry. Because the truth is you and I have very similar size production companies. We work on some, I mean, we have different clients, different projects, but they're in the similar realm. And I think maybe once or twice have we ever quoted the same client. Right. In like five or six years, like ever, like, there's enough work out there. And we're at that point in the industry where so many companies still aren't using video that need to be. There's so much opportunity to continue to get clients that it's easy to be in a scarcity mindset. I know connecting with you and as the last year or two, connecting with more people in this space has not only been life-giving, you get to solve those problems like you were talking about, um, but it's brought opportunity too. Like, you know, we had a shoot um, in January and I got COVID the night before the shoot and I was able to call up a handful of guys, be like, hey, can one of you go film this thing tomorrow? I have COVID. And it worked out, you know? And I have other guys who, uh, one of them just had his second baby. He's got two under two. And he's like, hey, he's had two or three shoots recently where we've gone out and taken over the shoot for him. He goes and does all the editing because he knows he can trust me to accomplish and do the same stuff that he would do, that I'm going to respect his client. And it's not a competition. I'm not trying to steal that client. And so I think the community aspect is so huge. Some of the relationships that you built at film school, I think of Jerry um, and these other people that you still keep in contact with, they may not be your clients, but they help you grow in this space as well. Well, but I, but I think you also watch that process. You know, you go through the trenches together and you kind of see the, the way that life goes. And then, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, 15 years down the line and you're like, who am I going to call 
to to back me up on this, I'm going to call somebody that I know that I know, you know, has a similar background. They have the know-how. You know, there might be. I think. I think so many times, like there's there's a lot of very talented people out there, and at the end of the day, it's not like a good set is not necessarily always just the most talented people in the room. It's it's people that work well together because you're you're just solving problems and you're and you you know you have to be around these people for any given amount of time, whether it's a three day shoot or whether it's like a six month project or whether it's just like a one off day. Like this is these are the people that you're surrounding yourself with. So I think it's important to 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 be able to trust those people and and know that if you don't show up, they're gonna they're gonna handle it. Like so many times, I'll I'll bring Greg or I'll bring Jerry along with me, even though I don't necessarily need help. Like I'll just be like, well, I just didn't want to be alone today. This is kind of <laughs> it makes it so much better. Yeah. I mean, we had a shoot together month or so back. Um, for one of your main clients and all of a sudden the amount of content they were trying to create in that one day was just too much. Mm -hmm. And I was able to go out with part of the team and go create some stuff, film some stuff. And you were able to focus on the stuff at their location and you ended up getting a lot more assets that really served your client. Um, even though it was, you know, more work than should have been in a day, we were able to kind of divide and conquer. So there is definitely power in numbers. Well, and and so that's, it's also, it's a different kind of thing, kind of going back to being the Wild West and having the, like the solopreneur mindset. Being a solo content creator is so much different than, you know, your classic director or your classic DP or your classic cameraman. And I remember I was, I was applying for like a, like a company that was, it's kind of like a talent buying thing or something like that. They would like connect studios with with talent and stuff like that. And, and I remember early on, I was like showing them my portfolio, and I was, and they were like, "Well, what's your, you know, what job did you do on this?" I was like, "Well, I did all all of it." And they're like, "Well, okay, but like, you know, is there any part of this that like nobody else like?" touched it or whatever i'm like no no i'm the only person like from the start to be start to end like this is just me i'm making these videos and they're like ah, well we only really you know it's like you're either a dp or you're a director or you're sound design or you know we don't really have this like one size fits all right. position and i've i've walked away from that and like didn't like nothing ever came of that because i couldn't decide what my job was and obviously like as sets grow and as budgets grow and 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 as we have bigger opportunities there is that need to bring in more talent and you need to bring in more people with more specified jobs but at the end of the day i think having that value of being able to understand all of the different parts of it really do add to you know a cohesive vision because now i now i can i can i can be like well you know, it's kind of like talking to a drummer, telling him what you want him to play. Well, do the bop, bop, do the bop, bop. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. But there's there's that aspect of being able to tell a ga like a like a gaffer exactly what I want the light to be, or you know, communicate with the with the with the the camera crew. Like, you know, I I want this this kind of or understanding different focal lengths and 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 all of those types of things. I think there is a lot of value in having that overview i don't know I, I i know some people who do pare down and they basically say i don't promote myself as anything more than a director or a dp or something like that and maybe that's maybe that's the next step for me you know like maybe that's what my my next couple of years look like or my next 10 years look like but i think in the space that i'm in i'm still in that kind of in between no man's land of like being the person that knows how to do everything every everywhere but there is also another aspect of like when you're sitting down with a new client explaining to them what you do i think sometimes there is value in understanding your strengths and being able to really focus on that and say you know i'm coming into this like we could do all of those things but i would really prefer to look at this as just a creative director and then you know i will hire out the rest of the team based on uh, what i know of the needs of the project yeah i think that uh it's kind of one of those things that, yes, I think there are those good roles that are in one area, like 
you know, we know and have met some incredible DPs. Um, director of photography is much more specialized and they're really focused on the camera, the filming. Um, but I think it's valuable even for them to have to work with audio, to have to work with light. And I'm sure a lot of them do not with the audio side, but more the lighting. But if you understand all components, you don't necessarily need to be proficient or great at them, but it also helps you to know like, Hey, my filming can impact the audio for this. It's going to have a super negative impact on the way we shoot and film. Like it's that education, right? And, and I, I was thinking about this the other day. There's a lot of kind of experience that I have that I take for granted because I've, you know, it's just been like day in, day out, kind of adding it as I go. But in trying to explain it to somebody who's like, you know, this is my first time shooting in a studio. I don't know what to do, you know, or this is my, you know, I've never come up against this kind of a, this kind of a thing before, or I've got, you know, I've got this problem that I need to, need to solve. I think sometimes we can probably take for granted the amount of experience that we have in a lot of that kind of broad sweep. Whereas somebody who's coming in and they like have a, like a spe specified job, I think it's just a different way to approach that education because I think so many people, you know, it's like the easy route is just find a job somewhere and start doing it. The easy route is just go to film school and, you know, make connections and kind of find a job somewhere and start doing it. I feel like kind of the, the idiot route, like if you're really, really dumb, you could just do what me or Greg did and you just, just be like, I'm just going to make my own company and I don't know. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. <laughs> Wait, nobody's going to tell me what to do. What do I do? You know? <laughs> yeah. It leads to a bunch of tough seasons. Yeah. And but a lot of learning, uh -huh. like a lot of learning Absolutely. opportunities, a lot of problem solving. You have to have grit to make it through some years of pain. For sure for that to actually do it. Cause both of us, like you mentioned applying to a job, like both of us have spent time looking at job listings for Constantly. other companies. Constantly. Um, <laughs> and I think for me, I was, I was, I was joke with my wife. I'm, like, I'm not, you know, I think I'm going to get a real job. <laughs> I think the last year or two have been the ones where I just like, ah, no, I feel good mm -hmm. in where I'm going and I have a vision of where I want to take it. But those early years, if anyone listening to this plans on starting a company and they haven't, like it's tough. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot to it. It's worth it, but you have to be thinking long-term. You can't be thinking of blowing up in a year. Mm -hmm. I think we're so inundated with seeing, with social media, seeing people that we, that may have blown up quickly or the other side, it looks like they blew up quickly. I listened to a video just the other day about this guy. It was like, I did, everyone thinks I blew up in this last year. He's like, I did 400 podcast episodes over the last five years before that yeah. explosion happened. Yeah. And, but you have to be ready to just persist through some hardship and some challenge. Yeah. But I want to take us to a little more side of whimsy mm. and talk about camera. So everyone, everyone already knows, everyone knows that you uh, you put gear second. Mm -hmm. But what's your current camera setup, okay. and what's your dream camera? If if your client had the budget to let you rent any camera for the day, sure. What would you use? Sure. Um, so currently, like I'm currently using the Blackmagic. Uh, Ursa Mini Pro 12K, and I have a Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pro 4K that mm -hmm. I, or not, uh, no, not Ursa Mini Pro, but the, the Pocket 4K. Yeah. Um, and we've done, you know, rent, rented the 6K Pro before. And, and what's your favorite thing about that ecosystem? My favorite thing about the ecosystem is the, you know, the B Raw and working with it in Resolve and just kind of the streamline of that process. It's just really simple and it's, and it's easy. Everybody scoffs at the 12K setup. I kind of look at the 12K as more of like just a, like a a, a solid eight like an 8K camera. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing for clients and the kind of where I saw client need going, is being able to shoot in kind of like an open gate format and being able to shoot, 
you know, widescreen and vertical in the same kind of in the same kind of space, and then reframe all of that stuff for the deliverables. And so that was the biggest player, I think, in that decision to to go with the 12K. And I honestly, I think, like everybody, everybody looks at different camera systems, kind of constantly keeping up. I'd I'd love to. I you know, if a, if a obviously the reason that I chose the Black Magic, obviously because. It's not obvious to anybody. <laughs> it is is that like kind of for that airy look, mm. and kind of having that, you know, that kind of the <laughs> the budget airy look. Well, the honestly yeah. part is the budget, yeah. But the look that it can achieve, yeah. yeah. I like, and and I did. I looked back and I I kind of weighed my options of mm-hmm. like buying an old used airy, yeah. You know, something something that was kind of sitting there collecting dust. And using that as like the ACAM or doing something with the Black Magic. And I think I just, at the end of the day, I was just like, oh, I, th- I think I'll just go with the the system that I know is going to, you know, not. I was concerned that if something broke in the area, then all of a sudden I would need, I would need all of this other stuff. Whereas, you know, with the, with the Black Magic system, it's like, it's kind of replaceable. And, and a lot of times, honestly... I could still use the 4K just all day long and not, not even think. Of it. And they're so inexpensive that it's like if I needed to, you can have a three three camera setup and just like whatever. So question. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably at this point. I still think the Pocket 4K is best bang for your buck camera. It's incredible. If you don't need autofocus or you know some of those prosumer mm-hmm. like what the Sony's, the Canons, all those uh, yeah. mirrorless cameras are doing. It, the color you can get out of it, um, the specs that it has in a camera like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you need to have a battery set up for it because uh, mm-hmm. that's atrocious. But but even that's not not hard. Yeah. I mean, like when I run that, when I run it on the RS, the the, the, gimbal. the gimbal, I I have just a, a you know a twelve volt mm-hmm. that's going to a Sony MP battery yep. hooked to it, and it's like that is that's running the camera all day long, yep. and I could just swap you know one or two of them out and it's like it doesn't even need to be an expensive or a complicated setup yeah you know obviously if it's on a rig then i have a v-mount battery on it but Mm -hmm. but it's like i love systems that are kind of modular and and things that you can you can take and like this becomes this here Uh, i use it for car rig Uh, like the the 4k i'll Mm -hmm. use it for a car rig and like that that system's it's like it's just as easy to pull that off and put that on the other system. Yep. And so I love it. I love it when something kind of has that that kind of vertical or horizontal movement yeah. in in the space. It instead of having that huge gap between your A cam and your B cam. For sure. But having that similar color science to where in the grade it's almost exactly the same looking, you know, coming mm-hmm. out of the camera. The one's just a little bit different. I think something that we don't often think about when we envy someone else's camera. Like let's take the Ari Alexa mini or um, any of the red ecosystem cameras. Oftentimes when you are seeing footage from that camera that you really want, the colorist or the person working with the color on that camera is way better than you are. Mm -hmm. And they the reason why you love the look, it probably, I mean, the camera has a thing. Like sure. there is, those cameras are that expensive and people buy them for a reason. But a big part of it is just how someone knows how to use that camera, A, and the color that they do on that mm-hmm. can drastically impact how the image looks. And lighting and mm-hmm. scene and Absolutely. talent and, you know, just... So, so much of it. There are so many other variables that you know. Whenever I I think I was on a shoot recently and somebody came up, they're like, "Oh, that's a serious camera." I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, it's just a camera. Like, yeah. at the end of the day, it's just a tool that I'm using. Like, you wouldn't go up to a carpenter and be like, "Hey, nice hammer." You know, it's like it's just <laughs> it's just a different it, because it's, it looks fancy and it's got all these cables coming off of it. It really looks like a big deal, but at the end of the day, it's just a tool to do the thing you're actually there to do. It has nothing to do with the toys, you know. But I honestly, I still to this day, like 
I'm always, I never feel satisfied sure. in my camera. I still waste so much time and on I'm YouTube looking, yeah. watching the next camera, camera reviews and, and all that stuff. Yeah. I've... Just a just a guilty pleasure of mine, and a yeah. little and a, and a, something I'm probably pretty ashamed of is is watching reviews on the cameras that I already have. Okay. To just justify in my mind that they're still worth <laughs> me using them, I'm like, just go yeah. do the job. Like, who yeah. cares? You know. And sure. and half the time, like I've got like a little Sony RXO two uh-huh. that I pull out, and it's like this tiny little. You know, I'll use that for the mm, inside of the car cam, dash yep. camera, whatever, or I'll mount it on something, or like throw yep. it somewhere where you can't get a big camera. And it, half the time, I'm more excited about using that dinky little, you know, that that little yeah. little thing than I am about using any of the bigger cameras because I'm like, oh, and and Matt okay. knows this. I'm constantly like, hey, look at this cool little yeah. camera. Like, isn't this neat? <laughs> I'm telling people that don't care yeah. about any of that stuff. But at, at the end of the day, sure. I think a lot of us get into this because we love like nerding out about gear. Yeah, and. This this was another thing I was thinking this morning is that there is often this kind of like vague idea that what happens on screen is somehow this like magical, mystical thing. And if we could just figure out what it is that those people are doing that make that so cool, you know, it must be the camera or it must be the director. It must be the, you know, the actor. It must be the, you know, Hollywood effects that are making all of that possible. But when you pull that back, you look and you say, well, this is really just people telling stories. And that happens in a lot of different ways. There is no mystery. You know, there's just an amount of information that you probably need to learn to get you to a point to decide which of those types of stories you want to tell. And I think something that, as you're saying that, that I kind of recognize in my process, and probably most people who actually film something, is think of it, think about your vision, uh, your current with your eyes, and then your camera. So like, when you come and set up a scene, you are seeing it with your eyes, which have so much more depth, you see so much more width, there's so many more layers to the scene that you're seeing that it doesn't, you know, everyone wants to look cinematic. It doesn't always look cinematic from your eyes. And then you frame it up, you get everything set in the camera and it looks a lot better. But you're, when you're watching your own videos that you've created, your brain still has the context and memory of how you filmed it. Mm. And so when you see someone else's work, you didn't see behind the scenes. You didn't mm-hmm. get to see what it took. It may not have been as elaborate of a setup as you thought, but because you've only seen their creative vision, then it's at a much higher level Mm -hmm. because you don't have any context for what the actual thing took to make. Right. And I'm constantly, I'm constantly telling clients half my job is what I don't show people (laughs) on the other end of the video. Yeah. (laughs) Cause, Cause I mean, there is always, there is always that aspect of like you walk into something that doesn't look the way that it needs to look in order to make, you know, uh, to make the product and you got to work with what you have. And I think that's half the fun is like, okay, how can I polish this turd enough to make it really look cool? You know, (laughs) or you can walk away and say, well, this isn't, you know, I need better working conditions than this. We won't go into this, but you're constantly in this industry thrown into situations, especially smaller pro- uh, budget projects, mm-hmm. where the location, the opportunities are all lesser than what you would like or need. Mm-hmm. And so you're always having to be creative. How do you make, like you said, <laughs> polishing a turd, how do you make <laughs> this thing look better than it is right. while actually having integrity mm-hmm. in it too? Because you don't want to make like, we work with some companies that have a prototype. Obviously you're trying to make the prototype as look as good as possible because it's trying to sell people on the vision of what it will be. Mm -hmm. But if it's someone's actual finished product, you want to make sure you're not cheating things so much that people get the product and they're like, this is terrible. And that's another thing of being able to be at a place where your company can say no to clients is recognizing when a client, a client you're actually going to be deceiving the audience uh, to get them into something that 
they're not going to like. Like it's mm-hmm. good when we actually can back what we're selling. Sure. Cause when we can, it's so much harder. So I want to end on this, um, for those people I kind of talked about for the people who are thinking about getting into this industry or for people who are one, two years in, we gave a lot of advice today. If you just gave one piece of advice to them, what would it be? And how would you encourage them moving into the space? Go down to McDonald's and pick up an application (laughs) because you're going to be a great success. All right. Podcast over. No, (laughs) we're not going to go that route. I know Ryan Trahan spent a lot of time (laughs) in his YouTube channel there. Um, I think if there was, if there was one thing, if there was one thing I could encourage people that are thinking about doing something like this, or maybe they're already in it is not to, not to wait until you're ready to do it. Just do it. Just, just start. Like it doesn't matter. You don't have to have the right tools. You don't have to have the right camera. You don't have to have the big budget. You don't have to have any of that stuff that like whatever, whatever that wall is that you kind of see in front of yourself. That's like, I can't do that thing. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've looked back at my history of like driving a truck for 10 years and being like, man, I wish I would have just at that wall mm-hmm. just started doing something instead of be like, well, I can't, like it's not the right time or I don't have the right tools or my camera's not good enough. I, I wish I would have just done it because, of the, because I would have, I mean, I would have been somewhere different than I am now. Even if like you have an idea, come up with the idea Go rent the equipment, spend some money. I mean, you're gonna have to invest some money. Just in this. use your phone. You can use the phone, phone as well. Your phone is inc- an incredible camera. Your phone is a better camera. Why are you than whispering? Every single movie <laughs> has been made on, you know, like <laughs> yeah, if, sure. from 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 like ten years ago and back. I yeah. I was I, I, I give it to me. Where does <laughs> tell me what you're gonna say? Zodiac, David Fincher, right? Okay was 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 filming on a very early like CCD camera mm. and the delivery is in 1080p. Yeah. You know. And you watch that film and it's like it's it's incredible. Mm. And those tools were so limited. Yeah. At at that time and and it's like when you watch it it's, it's like it it feels like a film, it looks like film, it you know, it I don't know. It you don't need you don't need all this stuff, all the gear, you don't need yeah. Your your phone is an incredible filmmaking tool, and it's in your pocket. Yeah, like there's nothing. There's literally nothing holding you back. Love it. What was Greg gonna say? I interrupted him. No. I'm sorry. Apologize. Stop looking into the camera. <laughs> I love you guys. I'm sorry. You, if you Stop watch looking. this whole thing, mom. If you watch this whole thing, I am sorry for talking so much. I I should have listened more to Greg, and I should have let him speak more and there should have been less of me and more of him no look over here look at me i love you mom happy birthday (laughs) look at me i'm gonna send this to my mom on her birthday (laughs) honestly that's great advice it's a great place to stop and ultimately i'm stoked that you could be our first guest on this podcast and i'm just excited to see where we can take this community and continue to grow like we talked about earlier not just be on an island trying to do this thing alone, but grow community because there's so much opportunity. There's so many stories to be told and we're just lucky to be able to be telling these stories uh, for our career. Thanks so much for watching our first episode of the Video Creator Podcast. We plan on creating more of these conversations over the coming months. So if you want to check out and learn more about it, make sure you subscribe. Subscribe.